Good evening. I think that Christmas to me is a light holiday. Um, Seems like we put lights everywhere. In fact, you know it's Christmas because there's lights everywhere. Uh, There's lights on trees, there's lights on buildings, there's lights on people, uh, lights everywhere. And so it becomes this light holiday, and since I, uh, I choose to find reminders of Christmas and the birth of Christ, I choose when I see great light displays to think about the birth of Christ and to celebrate that. Now, Gina will let you know that I don't particularly enjoy one task, and that's putting lights on the tree. Uh, we always get a, we go, you know, hunt down and cut down and bring home a, a tree. My friends tell me there's actually trees when you put them together, the lights come on and they're already there. I don't want to hear that. But we put the lights on the tree and then my job is to put the lights in the front of the house, you know, across the deck and, and around the windows. And then, you know, we have, we have a three-story uh, house that we live in and Gina puts a single light in every single window of the house. And so I asked her last year, I said, why do you put a light on the windows on the back of the house? It didn't make sense to me. And she says, well, there's people that live back there and they need to see the beauty of the lights. So, ah, sorry I asked. It's a light holiday. And so, I want to talk about light. Now, last uh, weekend, I began to think about this moment. And I began to think about um, a reflection on Christmas and what I might bring. I, like some of you, grew up in church. I mean, I, I've, I've been in church for every Christmas for uh, almost 60 years. So I've heard a lot of sermons on <laughs> Christmas. And I, I began to just pack stuff into, into some notes and thinking about this few minutes together. And I had a lot of different directions like I usually do and, and then begin to narrow it down. And then I, I got a text from Randall about the, the teaching text or the Old Testament text to read next week or last week. And, and I, I looked at it and I, and I read it And have you ever had, you know, you ever have a moment where a phrase from the Bible, I have no other term, but it just arrests you. It grabs a hold of you. It owns you. And I'm reading through this text that I'm to read last week, and and I come across this phrase, and I say, that's it. it. It just captured me. And I read it over and again, and I let it, I let it kind of soak in and think about it, and And it's this phrase that I want us to think about for these moments together. And hopefully, in the next few moments, this phrase will capture your heart and arrest your mind. And here, here's the phrase. The light has dawned. It's a simple declaration But to think about it, it changes everything. These words are found by the prophet Isaiah. 
And he writes in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then you trickle down a few verses. And you hear these very, very familiar verses that are either said or sung or passed on or read. And it's this, for to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called. And we love these words. I love these words. Wonderful counselor. I mean, have you ever had counsel from someone that you, went, you walked away and it, it was wonderful? It like freed you up. Mighty God. I don't want a weak God. <laughs> Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. And we read these, these words, but they're, they're nestled with this prophetic statement, the light has dawned. I think that says something to me and maybe to you about a sunrise. Now, um, a couple of years ago, we moved from the south end to Fort Hill. We live up on a hill, and our bedroom is on the third floor. And more, more, more mornings than not, either Gina or I will say, did you look out the window? Did you see the sunrise? And more mornings than not, there's this amazingly beautiful sunrise. The colors, even on a plain day when it's just light with clear blue, there's sunrise. And why do we enjoy a sunrise so much? Because it goes from dark to light, from monochrome to beautiful colors. It suggests a new day. No matter what yesterday was, we got a new day today. And each one of them are unique in their beauty and profound in their crystal clearness. And, and we can see. One thing about a sunrise, you can see. You ever had a terrible night and you just couldn't wait till morning? Just couldn't wait till it was clear? Or you had a scary night and all of a sudden the sun comes up and it's, it's okay? And so we live on top of this hill and recognize this thing that happens every day. However, four years before, the four years before, we lived just a few blocks away in the south end. And I never saw a sunrise, ever. Looked out my window and saw bricks. Maybe a little reflection of sun on the bricks. And as ridiculously ignorant as it sounds, I never thought that there was actually these beautiful sunrises going on that I was missing. What changed was my position. I was in a place that I could see it. And my relationship that I was engaged with the beauty of the light dawning. You see, this idea of the light has dawned. We don't have to walk in darkness. There's a great light. And then Isaiah says, he, he, like he circles back. 
And he said, the land of deep darkness, that's where the light dawns. <laughs> so we begin with this prophetic statement. Now, he's saying it in, you know, present tense, or in past tense, the light has dawned, but it's a prophetic statement about the future. And the reason that happens is many of the promises in the Bible are for now and later, already and not yet. That this process has begun for the light to dawn, but not yet. And then we leap into the New Testament. This guy, John, opens up his book in the first chapter. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is overcome. But, but look at this part here. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. I always love the way he writes about himself. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And here it is. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So Isaiah says, the light is dawn. Then John says, the light is coming into the world. The true light. And for 2,000 years, we've been celebrating this moment with lights. True light is coming. See, light is, light is powerful. Light always wins. Light changes everything, changes your perspective. Oh, I didn't think I was here, but now I am here. Just needed some light. It gives, it gives clarity. If you have enough light, you can see. But even in addition to all that, there's beauty. There's beauty that can only be seen with really good light. So Isaiah declares, the light has dawned. In deep darkness, the light dawned. John says, light's coming. The light's coming and, and darkness isn't going to win. Light's going to prevail. And then we move a little further into the book of John. And Jesus speaks. He makes a profound and clear declaration. He says this in chapter 8. Jesus spoke again to the people. Now, why read this? Think about deep darkness and a prophetic word way off in the distance. The light has dawned. Think about John saying, Light is coming. 
Now Jesus looks in the eyes of people and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light is dawn, the light is coming, and Jesus says, I am light. Now, we have to put that into perspective, because he's talking to a particular crowd that's very different than you. He's talking to a particular group of people that had a history with God, a history with God before Jesus. And their history involved wandering in the desert. We read in the book of Exodus that as they wandered around in the desert for 40 years, I mean, I, I get lost for 10 minutes and I'm frustrated. 40 years. But there was something that took place. By day they saw this, this pillar, this cloud, and they would follow. But by night there was this, this pillar of fire. And every night they would look up, and if the fire was there, they stayed. If the fire moved, they moved. And it was their history. And when they thought about that moment, wandering, there's a few things that, that were, that were present in their mind. One is they always had direction. Now, when you're wandering around and kind of walking in circles in the desert, you really don't need a map because you don't know where you're going, but you need a guide to be with you. And at any moment, they could look up and say, God is with us. God is leading us. God is giving direction. They could be certain of uncertainty. In the middle of uncertainty, they could be certain that God was with them. They had instruction. They knew when to go and when to stop. They had company. They knew they were never alone. You know, you can put up with a whole lot of difficulty if you know you're not alone. And so they wandered and followed a light. And they were always reminded of something. They were reminded that they were God's people. Now, this particular event was such a marvelous event, they made a holiday out of it. <laughs> and that holiday is called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, there's a number of Jewish feasts. Some of you are familiar with that. But this particular feast is an annual feast. It's an annual party. It's an annual holiday. And what it celebrates is that when they wandered, their ancestors wandered in the desert, there was light that showed the way, that showed that they were loved by God and that God was present. And so for seven days, from a Saturday to a Saturday, they would have this party. And they would build these, and, and still to this day, people who celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, they build these temporary huts, kind of like sticks and it was kind of like camping. They didn't have a permanent place. Camping. And it would remind them there was a day when they wandered and God was with them. And they would party. And they would celebrate. And they would rejoice. Why? Because they didn't want to forget. Which is why we have holidays, isn't it? So we don't forget. 
That's why we just took communion, because we're so fickle. We'll forget. We want to remember. But there was one element about the Feast of Tabernacles, and that was the beginning of the seven days. There was this gigantic candle opera. And so it seems like appropriate to come over here. <laughs> now, this candle opera would, would begin to burn the first night of the seven nights. And it was 50 cubits tall. Now, nobody really knows how much a cubit is because it's an Old Testament measurement, and, and it's a measurement from your elbow to the tip of your finger. So it kind of depends on whose elbow <laughs> to the tip of their finger. But clearly, 50 of those would make a pretty tall candle opera. And historians tell us that the, the candle opera was so large that it would just light the land, and people could see it. It was in the highest point of the city, and people could see it forever, and they knew that it was, it, it was the Feast of Tabernacles. Just like somewhere around Thanksgiving, lights pop up everywhere, and we know it's Christmas. So this giant, imagine this magnified candle opera. And then, at the end of the seven days, it's somebody's job to go put out all the candles. Which, if that didn't look so cool, I'd do that right now, but I don't want to do that. And so at the end of the seven days, the candles go out. And the party's over. The celebration's over. And everything goes dark. And there's this throwaway called the treasury. And Jesus is sitting on these stairs. Probably over his shoulder sits a gigantic candelabra and the lights have just been put out. And as he sits there on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, he says, I am the light. You see, at that moment, he makes this declaration that is why in these next few days we can celebrate. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What he was saying was shocking to them because they just celebrated this moment where God followed them. And he's, everyone that knew what he was saying knew he was saying, I am God. I have come near and I am light. And it's not just a ceremony or a holiday or a party. But if you follow me, you will never walk in darkness. Ever. Eugene Peterson says in that moment, he translates 
the scriptures, he said, Jesus addressed them and say, I'm the, I'm the world's light. No one who follows me stumbles around in darkness. I provide plenty of light to live in. You see, God coming in the person of Jesus suddenly changes it. I've learned that if somebody says it better than me, let them say it. C.S. Lewis said it this way. I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And you don't walk in darkness again. You see, darkness frustrates, but light illuminates. Have you ever been when it suddenly goes dark? Like if I could say, hey, Ryan, kill the lights and it'd be pitch black, you would feel real uneasy. You say, well, I can't see, I can't see, I'm going to fall, I'm going to trip, watch out, don't bump into me. There would be chaos. In a matter of seconds, there would be chaos and confusion because it was darkness. As soon as the light comes on, there's clarity. Isn't that how we feel in life? Doesn't stuff come along? We say, I can't see, I can't understand, I can't navigate. I, I want to kind of freeze. And, and oftentimes when, when everything goes dark, you just stop because you don't want to walk. You don't want to move. Darkness alienates. We have this uncanny ability to develop our own darkness. This ability to to just circle the wagons and close in. But light liberates. Plato famously said, we can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. We can forgive children to be afraid of the dark, but the tragedy is when men are afraid of the light. Light liberates. So Isaiah saw ahead and said, in the deepest of darkness, the dawn breaks. The light has dawned. And then John declares, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. The light is coming. And then Jesus, ah, Audacity, audacity stands up and says, I'm the light of the world. You'll never walk in darkness again. So this Christmas, the light has dawned. It's dawned, even if you don't notice it. When I was in the South End, I didn't notice that the light would dawn so beautifully every day because I wasn't in the right position and I didn't have the right relationship with the sunrise. But the light has dawned. A child was born. And you and I never have to walk in darkness again. Does that mean you never have hardship again? Of course not. There's a lot of hardness in the light. But you never walk alone. There's a lot of difficulty in the light. But you can see. You see, 
no matter what we are challenged with, it has a stop line because God puts his hand up and says enough is enough. You and I will never walk in darkness again. That's why we celebrate. And C.S. Lewis, I'll say it one more time. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. The light has dawned. We stand together with me as we pray. We're going to celebrate these last few moments together. We're going to sing some great, uh, great hymns of declaration. But let me pray for us before we do.